Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and today I have Dr. Nancy Lewis with me to discuss Senate Bill 340, or the telepharmacy bill, in the state of Michigan. Uh, Dr. Lewis went to school at Ferris State University, where she got her pharmacy degree and received her PharmD. Also got her master's in public health from the University of Michigan. Dr. Lewis, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, including where you work and what you're involved in with pharmacy? I'm trying to be a retired pharmacist. I was involved in community-based practice, research, and teaching focused on health disparities and community pharmacy practice. And I, I worked as a pharmacist and a public health professional for colleges of pharmacy and community service organizations. And even though I'm formally retired, I'm, I'm still involved in community-led research that looks at the health impact of discrimination in transgender and gender-diverse communities. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's a, that's a very uh, modern topic, too, for, uh, for something like that, for someone who's already on the end of their career, it sounds like. Yeah, I feel like I'm still in the middle somehow, so I keep going. That's great. I know I've got a lot of friends who, who fit that mold, so I know I appreciate that work for sure. Dr. Lewis, you've been kind of well-versed with what's going on in Michigan with this, this Senate Bill 340 and telepharmacy. Can you explain a little bit about what it is or what it does and why we're here talking about it today? Well, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm an expert on this bill. I think we're all trying to figure out exactly what's going on with this bill. But Senate Bill 340 defines telepharmacy practice in Michigan, and it allows the licensure of remote pharmacies in the state of Michigan under our public health code. It defines telepharmacy systems as an interoperable computer system that shares real-time data and has an audio and video link to connect a parent pharmacy, that's the one that has a pharmacist in it, with a remote pharmacy, and the remote pharmacy would be staffed by a pharmacy technician. So basically, if I'm understanding you correctly, there's one pharmacist working at pharmacy A, but also supervising pharmacy B, where there isn't a pharmacist at it, rather a technician or skilled worker. Yeah, so it would be a a pharmacy technician, and it could be one or, or more pharmacy technicians, and the model of practice that's proposed under Senate Bill 340 has one parent pharmacy, and then it allows up to two remote pharmacies with the pharmacy technician. Gotcha. Okay. I just want to make sure we're clear with that as setting the stage. The one thing that I thought was interesting was I know quite a few pharmacists up in Michigan since I do live down here in Ohio, and I'd asked several of them about it, and somehow they all kept pointing the finger towards you. What made you really kind of become a voice on this bill or become an advocate for what this bill is trying to do? Well, there are lots of us that are raising our voice on this bill. Um, I just happen to be the person who may be wordsmithing some of our concerns and, and sharing that with others. Actually, the whole idea of telepharmacy started in Michigan about five years ago. Uh, We had a major conversation about telepharmacy practice. One of our Michigan-based chain pharmacies wanted to buy several rural pharmacies and convert them from being pharmacy, having pharmacists be their staff, to being remote pharmacies staffed by pharmacy technicians only. So we debated telepharmacy practice then. We had a teleconference with folks in, in North Dakota who really are the experts on telepharmacy. We came away with the perception that if done properly, telepharmacy practice uh, might be useful in ensuring rural communities had access to pharmacy services. We talked about that for several months, but then the issue just died away. I mean, in Michigan, we have about 
2,500 pharmacies in the state. Many of them deliver prescriptions to people's doorstep or they mail prescriptions to their homes. So when Senate Bill 340 appeared, it was unexpected. We didn't see it as something we were hearing a need for from from patients. And it was a, a totally different model of telepharmacy practice than what we expected. So it it actually caught my attention because I was getting notifications from uh, the Health Policy Committee. And the bill was first published 25 hours before a hearing was held on it. And the hearing was announced as part of an amended committee meeting agenda. And that's kind of a sign that this is a bill that was intended to be an under-the-radar kind of bill. Yeah, for sure. That sounds like someone tried to sneak it into the fourth quarter to try and get something through, which I guess would make me want to learn more about it, too, and kind of what really made me want to learn more about it just today from talking with you about this. So with this, I know you kind of mentioned some states like North Dakota. Was it North Dakota or South Dakota? I just forgot that quick. North Dakota. That's where telepharmacy was first established. Okay. Yeah. So when I think of North Dakota, I don't really think of them in Michigan being the same. I think in Michigan, I more think of Detroit and more the populous areas, but I guess Michigan, like Ohio, does have some pretty rural areas there. So what are some of the issues that you see with this bill? Well, I think the first thing that we questioned was the underlying premise that that the access to prescription drugs and pharmacist services is based on the physical location of a building, you know, that you had to have pharmacies all over. And if someone wasn't within, you know, five miles of a pharmacy, they weren't able to get their prescriptions or receive pharmacy services. And we view access really as being, you know, it should be defined very broadly. You talk about affordability, availability of services, accessibility of services, accommodation and acceptability. And we really think that affordability is the greatest access problem that Michigan residents have in regards to prescription medications. Again, physical access to medications doesn't seem to be a key issue from our, our standpoint, and talking to any pharmacist in any part of the state of Michigan. But when we looked at the bill itself, it was really patient safety that came as a top issue. We looked at the National Association of Boards of Pharmacy recommended language for telepharmacy, and then we looked at other state bills, and we kind of came up with a list of telepharmacy features that we thought were important in assessing the bill. So those factors included pharmacy ownership, uh, whether it's owned by a corporation or it's majority owned by a pharmacist, uh, the pharmacy technician qualifications, the telepharmacy system requirements, the parent and remote pharmacy configuration, kind of the number of remote pharmacies uh, that were allowed per parent pharmacy, and pharmacist staffing requirements, patient counseling requirements, and then the appropriate inventory management and pharmacy surveillance measures. And then kind of added to that was the criteria that was used to allow where a, a remote pharmacy could be located. So we assessed all those factors, and then we looked at it based on the Michigan environment and the Michigan pharmacy practice, what we typically do here in Michigan. Because it's really important to look at your state. What might be a good telepharmacy bill for, say, Wyoming may not be best for Michigan because we're, we're different states. We have different populations, densities, and that kind of thing. So you have to look at a lot of issues in order to either create a telepharmacy bill or to assess it. You can't just concentrate on one aspect of the legislation alone. So having said all that, the initial bill raised numerous concerns about patient safety and public health. 
Senate Bill 340 focuses on community telepharmacies, and most of our community pharmacies are corporate-owned, so we had to view the bill through that lens. And what, what they came out with initially was a bill that included low qualifications for the pharmacy technicians, just six months of experience. There was no requirement for a continuous uh, audiovisual link between the parent and remote pharmacies. They had high prescription volumes allowed within the telepharmacy systems with uh, no requirement for appropriate staffing. Very few drug diversion prevention measures were included, and there was really a limited requirement for pharmacist counseling. And the bill allowed a telepharmacy or a remote pharmacy to be within 10 miles of an existing pharmacy and included a waiver process that would allow a remote pharmacy to be even closer. So it just didn't seem to set what the needs might be in, in Michigan. So we had a lot of concerns about this bill. Yeah, one interesting thing I thought you mentioned there was the fact that it could be within 10 miles of the other pharmacy. I don't see as 10 miles being the biggest barrier, I guess, if that's all it is, is 10 miles. When I think tele or remote, I think more like 50 plus miles where someone's gonna be driving for an hour, 45 minutes. And I'm glad you brought up the tech training point because that's always my concern as well as diversion. And I'm not gonna say pharmacy technicians are like the worst on this compared to pharmacists, but I, I've seen plenty of diversion in my time working in multiple pharmacies. And it's something that always catches you by surprise. It's almost unpredictable. I guess in hindsight, you can usually see it, but that was one of my concerns was, kind of what are the steps being put in place so that all the proper safeguards are being taken, whether it be narcotics or are these going to be really limited pharmacies that are going to have a very narrow scope for what they dispense. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Those are some of the exact same concerns I have. You mentioned pharmacy chains quite a bit in regards to this bill. Is that who's backing it or who are we seeing who's backing it and do we know why? Well, the, the bill itself has only one legislative sponsor. And that's a, a senator who owns a lawn care business. So it isn't someone who has experience in, in health care at all. But he happens to be the chair of the Senate Health Policy and Health Services Committee here in Michigan. The major supporters of the bill, the, the folks who are really lobbying for this bill, are Cardinal Health, uh, the Michigan Retailers Association, and the Michigan Health and Hospital Association, and the Michigan Association of Health Plans. So there's some pretty heavy hitters backing us. Why they're backing the bill? It's been interesting to hear the arguments for this bill. The senator said there was a shortage of pharmacists in Michigan. That was news to us. <laughs> you know, we have graduates looking for, for jobs, just like I think many places do. Cardinal Health said that people are driving 20 miles in snowstorms to get to pharmacies. There was no discussion about delivery services or an explanation about why people are driving in snowstorms when they can get prescriptions delivered to their door. And there were claims that community telepharmacies provide better care and have a lower rate of error than national, uh, the national average. But these comments really relate to findings from telehealth programs, as far as I can find in the literature. It really kind of misrepresents some of the data that's out there. And then the latest claim that we heard about, you know, our concerns, response to our concerns about the bill is that there shouldn't be any worries about uh, supervising pharmacists' workloads because pharmacists control the number of prescriptions they dispense and the time they have to review prescriptions. And in our environment, which is largely corporate pharmacy, uh, corporate pharmacies, they're with a growing oversupply of pharmacists. I think that's a little bit too simplistic of, of what's really happening in, in pharmacies today. So we kind of look at this and we see a different story. 
Cardinal Health owns Telefarm, a company that offers telepharmacy systems and remote staffing. The chain pharmacies are affiliates of the Michigan retailers, and they've been seeking ways to lower pharmacy payroll costs. And the health and hospital associations include health systems that own pharmacies. Um, so, and they also have a very close relationship with Cardinal Health. We're, we're really thinking this isn't about an access problem to pharmacies. I think it's really more about a way to increase corporate profits by converting traditional pharmacies to remote pharmacies. And in doing that, you would then replace pharmacists with pharmacy technicians. Yeah, and that worries me, not just only as a pharmacist, but as somebody who's looking out for patient care, because there's so many times that, and I'm not knocking, I've worked with some great technicians over the, over my career, but not knocking the technicians, but I've caught many times just in any given day where I catch errors by them or things that were overlooked or simple legal nuances that somehow get misinterpreted, such as substituting one manufacturer for another for a certain drug or putting in the wrong dose, but it's the same drug, any litany of things. And that's what really concerns me on top of the fact that as a pharmacist, I like to be able to see my patients because I can catch certain things that the pharmacy techs might not. Sometimes it could be maybe an odor or smell from somebody. It could be something like I noticed their movements. It could be that they had a simple question for me that all of a sudden I noticed something or picked up on something from there that somebody who wasn't trained as a pharmacist or even an MD somewhere in the healthcare field might not pick up on. And and to your point, I don't think there's a shortage of pharmacists. It seems nationwide there's anything is a, is a glut of them right now with the litany of schools that have popped up in the past decade or two. And I know myself, knowing a lot of people in Michigan, it doesn't seem like there's an oversupply from what they're saying either. So aside from... Right, right, yeah. Okay. And I, I think too, just to comment on one of the things you said, we really see pharmacists and pharmacy technicians as a, a partnership. You know, they both have skills that they're using in the process. They're they both have their roles to contribute, and they, when they work well together, that's when patients are going to receive the best care. And that, that team approach and that team relationship is really, really important. And that's something we stressed about how important it is that the pharmacy technician and the pharmacist both are experienced and have experience in working together. Yeah, and and one of the main differences, at least for me, when I think of technicians versus pharmacists, as pharmacists, you take an oath when you graduate, and I don't think too many people necessarily always reflect back on that, but technicians never really do that. And I know it might seem silly to sit there and think, oh, you took a silly oath after you graduated, but for me personally, I really believe in that, and everything I do should be based on that oath because that's what my profession holds me to. And the state board, I know, will hold me to that if, if I don't hold myself to it. And technicians, although they still do fall under the board's scope, don't have to necessarily follow by the same necessarily principles and guidelines, if you will. With that, technicians are also paid significantly less. Like you said, there's a big payroll savings there. But at the same time, I feel like, at least from what I've seen, every time I've had diversion, it's been a technician. Not to say the pharmacists don't do it. We know they do. Just like almost anybody who has access to medications does, nurses, doctors, whoever. But I feel like that that's more opportunity for them if they have less direct supervision to do things like that. And that was one of my main concerns with this, just because I've had it happen to me. So, And I know the state board will hold you accountable if you're in charge of that telepharmacy as a pharmacist. So what are you getting yourself into that you might not be prepared for or be able to see the full picture of, if you will? What other other Mm -hmm. implications do you see with this bill on the impact of pharmacy practice in Michigan? Well, it'll be interesting to see how telepharmacies are implemented when this bill passes. It 
it could be that the remote pharmacies will be supervised by remote staffing companies. So Michigan pharmacist positions may be replaced by those companies. So that would mean the oversupply of Michigan pharmacists will increase. Uh, it could be that uh, Michigan pharmacists will be asked to supervise the remote pharmacies, and then pharmacists will be facing another step up in their workload. And that's been a, a real concern for us because we're worried that this might decrease pharmacist det- detection of dispensing and uh, other medication errors and result in patient harm. And the increased supervision responsibilities of having two remote pharmacies will mean that pharmacists may have to start forgoing offering the personalized services that they offer to their communities. And if we have remote staffing pharmacists involved in these remote pharmacies, it could be that they would never offer those kind of services to our communities. So I, it could be that what hospitals and health plans think of as a cost-saving measure by lowering their payroll costs, they actually turn out to increase costs of care because medication-related problems may get shifted to prescriber offices, emergency departments, or, or hospitals. But on the other hand, it may be that telepharmacies might be established and not really take hold. And that's happened in some other states where they've said they've had telepharmacies established and then they've had to close. Sometimes people didn't like having a remote pharmacist. They wanted a local pharmacist. And I can see that happening in rural areas. You know, if you live in a small town, you want a hometown business that offers personalized service from someone you know. So a remote pharmacy that uses a remote staffing service may not be something that people really use. People can get really attached to their pharmacists. They place a lot of trust in them, uh, not only to give them the right medication, but to be a source of health information. So it may be that even if a telepharmacy is nearby, people might travel farther to get the quality of, of care that they're looking for. Yeah, and I think you hit on one major touch point there. When a, when a pharmacist works at an area, usually they live within the general geographic area. Some pharmacists might drive a little farther. That's their preference or what have you. But when they live and work in and around the same area, they understand the culture of the area, the needs of the area, and like what those people are going through in the area. And I think that's really big because, again, I'm in the Cleveland area, but if you're on, say, the suburbs of the Cleveland versus inner city of Cleveland, you know, there's very different dynamics. And it's, it's, it really makes a big difference what that pharmacist knows what those people are facing, knows what they're going through, and knows what their needs are. Whereas you have a remote pharmacist who might not even work in, in what you're describing here, the same state or even region of the country. They might not know what somebody rural in Michigan is going through because they might live in New York City and they might live in a totally different environment and not understand common vocabulary terms and you know vocabs they're using to describe their symptoms and things like that. I don't know how many times we've all heard that patient from a from the South who comes into our pharmacy say, I got the sugar. And you're thinking, what do you need sugar for? And they really need to have diabetes, for an example. Right, exactly, exactly. You have to know the community that you're serving, and they have to know you. That's really important. Oh, yeah, that's that's where all the trust is actually built in pharmacies. And it seems like anymore, no one wants to pay us for understanding that and being able to adapt what we do to our communities. But do you think that this is the right thing for patients generally, or do you think it's more of a more about volume and the pay, current payment model over actual care? I think Senate Bill 340 is really about increasing corporate profits. You know, if this bill 
was intended to meet a consumer need, then consumers would have been involved in bringing this bill to legislators. We would have heard people from small towns coming forth and saying, this is what we need. We would have had, you know, requests for pharmacist input. People would have welcomed our, our, our comments about that, you know. You know, we've talked to people in all over Michigan about this. And when you talk to the kind of the everyday Joe on the street, they don't understand the need for this bill. And they really don't like the idea of a pharmacist not being in a pharmacy. That just doesn't strike people as, as being what they want. We see this as a model of telepharmacy where the goal is to lower payroll costs, not to improve uh, access to care. And I've heard some people call this telepharmacy abuse, where it's not for patient need, it's for corporate greed. And I've, I've had someone also talk to me and say, you know, this could be the, the step where uh, chain pharmacies take in order to be able to operate pharmacies with no pharmacy involvement uh, at all in the future. So I don't think it's about patients. I really think it's about corporate needs. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I know with most bills that have passed in Ohio recently, there's been some sort of something that happened that triggered it on a patient level, whether it be Kevin's Law for the emergency dispensing of medications, it be pharmacists being able to administer uh, drugs for opioid abuse disorder, things of that nature. And like you said, this one seemed to have been kind of snuck in in the fourth quarter in a relatively under the radar type of way, which is pretty interesting. And I think the interesting thing to me is Michigan's in a very unique spot. And one is it's a swing state. It has a very good population on the southern end of the state, very very thin population on the northern end of the state. But because of that, there's like this huge landmark with a bill like this, because I can see a bill like this passing in one of the Dakotas or Wyoming, like you mentioned earlier, because people do live very far out. Even a state maybe like Kansas that as I've driven through to go to Colorado before, you're driving a long way in between exits on that highway. But in Michigan, you really don't have that nearly to that extent. You have a little bit of it up north. So I think this could be like a possible like landmark bill or landmark shift for pharmacy. Do you see bills like this expanding to other states beside Michigan? Or where else are you kind of seeing things like telepharmacy bills pop up? Or do you know? Well, there are other states that have telepharmacy bills that passed already. But a lot of those states are very... Rural. In fact, when you get out into the, you know, more farther in the Midwest and, and the, you know, Arizona, New Mexico, that kind of way, you're really talking about almost frontier counties. And you're right in your assessment of Michigan. We don't have those broad areas where there aren't pharmacies. And, and if there are areas where there are no pharmacies, it's because it's a, a national forest or something like that. Our pharmacies are all located in our population zones for doing that. But I think we're worried about this bill not only for us, but we're worried that this kind of telepharmacy might be advanced into other states. And, and, and frankly, the money behind this bill is, is just incredible. I can't, if it, if it passes in Michigan, I'm sure it'll be coming to, you know, your state soon. So I, I, I think pharmacists in states with telepharmacy laws already need to be really diligent that their remote pharmacies remain focused on improving access to care in an area where pharmacist services are not accessible. And we need more information about uh, telepharmacy practices, how they're evolving, how communities react to telepharmacies, and, and how they interact with these practices. And they they really need to make sure that their, their telehealth services uh, remain focused on, on patient care. 
side, if you're if you're in a state that doesn't have a telepharmacy practice, you know, our advice is you need to start a conversation now about telepharmacy. And so you can be ready to preempt any attempts that come in with a really inappropriate model of telepharmacy that is, is going to be sold to your state legislators. You need to be prepared for this. You know, I've... I've heard some conversations recently about pharmacists doing flu shot or not just flu shots, flu tests, strep tests, things of that nature, and the practice moving a little bit that way. And although I think dispensing is a key part of that, having those other services would also help expand the scope of pharmacy and helps make some of those rural pharmacists be able to stand on their own as opposed to closing down like we've seen nationwide for a lot of these more rural pharmacies. It kind of defeats a lot of the arguments that some of these chains are making. I think I heard a number from uh, Ernie Boyd at Ohio Farm Association that a chain told him you can't open a pharmacy in an, a town under, I don't remember if it was ten or 15,000 people. And his immediate response is, how come I have so many independents in towns of like 8,000, 7,000 that are succeeding? And I thought that was a great response to kind of the telepharmacy bill as well. Is pharmacies can succeed there. The current PBM payments might be a whole other debatable topic. We could go on for hours on end. But they can also offer other services that can help make that pharmacy a true healthcare destination. So since you kind of talked about some of these issues that the bill has, do you think the bill actually fixes the problems that it's trying to resolve? Or do you think it makes possibly another issue for itself? Well, I don't think there's any way of predicting what will come next when this bill passes. The key is going to be to monitor what happens and then to react to patient safety or public health are, are harmed. And, and so it's really an unknown for us at this time what will happen. We're just going to have to wait and see. It's really hard to say. The way the bill is set up right now, we have real health concerns about it. If it's implemented the way it's written, there's going to be problems with patient safety and, and all the things that we've talked about. If it turns out that it doesn't catch on, then it may have minimal impact on pharmacy practice. Or if it turns out that pharmacies step up and do the right thing on their own, then then perhaps it'll be a good practice. But we'd much rather have a, a bill that, you know, has all the safety measures within it. Yeah. Whenever there's something that's unpredictable in a bill, I guess it always worries me because I always just assume the worst because let's face it, that's that tends to be what happens with things like these because people will find a way to manipulate it or use it. Uh, what do you propose could be done to fix this bill or to... Do we need to eliminate it altogether? Well, you know, I think your your latter comment is, is what we really would have hoped. We just don't see a geographical access problem to prescriptions and pharmacist services in Michigan. And our pharmacists have really stepped up, particularly our pharmacists in northern Michigan and in the Upper Peninsula. They've stepped up to make sure that their patients have access to medications and with delivery services that are available and you know, the, the fact is they know their patients. Patients come to where they are in order to see their physician, and they have really close relationships with them. And so they may see a patient one month and the next month deliver their medications to them, but they have that relationship between them and their patient, and they know their physician, and that's really important too. So it, it doesn't seem to be, you know, a problem that we need to, to work on. And I guess I kind of look at it and say, you know, I really don't think that, uh, you know, if this bill is about increasing corporate earnings or increasing a company's market share, I really think companies need to compete in the open market. You know, they're, they should expand their businesses is through innovation, not through legislation. 
And using legislation, I think, is a, is is not the right way for them to do it. And I don't think it's in the public's interest for a corporation to be allowed to come in and and really just steamroll over our legislators and have a bill passed that serves their their needs and not the needs of Michigan residents. Yeah, and I totally agree with that. Uh, one thing I thought was interesting with some of your comments, I'm taking notes here a little bit of it, and this kind of popped in my head. You mentioned public interest, and as we all know, government makes money off taxing income and profit, whether it be from a small business or a person. And if you have a telepharmacy and somebody might not be in that state now, you've pulled that person's income out of the state where they're going to generate tax revenue from. And possibly this, who knows, but with tax laws, things always get crazy. The company might try and do some things that says, hey, you know, the way we're taxed on this, we don't have to pay you as much income tax or any income tax because our main business is headquartered here. And that's where, you know, we're claiming our tax revenue is coming from. So there could be a lot of games with that that would actually cause the public to lose some of that income tax and not to knock on Michigan, but their roads aren't the greatest if you've ever been up there. And they could definitely use it for things like that. We've all heard about how Detroit was the first major city to go bankrupt or to default on their on their pension plans. And not that I'm all for taxation, but at the same point, that's something that as a legislator, you should be looking at going, if there's a way someone can move this, that's going to hurt us on a financial aspect. Why are we doing it? And that's one thing I never hear talked about a lot. I don't know if it's because pharmacists aren't tax experts, but I just, I don't, to me, I don't see how a legislator can get behind that. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. In fact, I, I had someone, someone who was a farmer and I was explaining this bill to them and he just got really mad, and he goes, that's not what we want in small rural towns. He said, what farming towns need is they need a highly paid professional to be there in that town, not just for the service that they provide, but we need those kind of people living in our towns and being part of our towns and being on the school board and all these kind of things that those kind of people do. And he he just felt that that was really important. And, and I've read about that a little bit. And, they, and one of the downfalls of rural towns is when, you know, they're built on small businesses. And mm-hmm. when there's a shift from small business to national corporations coming in and lining up by a highway or something and not being in the downtown of rural towns, uh, that can really be a downfall. So, yeah, I think your point is very well made about, you know, what impact would this have if it was in rural towns? The same thing is true as if it happens in the inner city of Detroit. Those people really count on their pharmacists for access to health information and for all the services that they provide. And if they lose that personal touch and that source of information, it's going to be very hard in those urban areas too. Oh yeah, for sure. And there's so many, there's such a gap when it comes to education of health in general. And then you throw in all the current, whether it be the people who want nothing GMO, want nothing this, want to be anti-vax, want to be this. That's almost like an anti-science. And we can debate all those on different episodes again. But there's an education piece that goes to that of why you need certain things when it comes to your health that you might not see the full picture on. And we all know Dr. Google can produce some bad results sometimes. Right. And you can imagine in this bill, what we have with Senate Bill 340 is we have a pharmacist who's in a pharmacy doing everything that a pharmacist does, you know, which we know is, is huge. And from prescription verification is only about half of what they do. The other half is answering, you know, questions from patients, calling patients on the phone, answering, you know, phone calls that come in, talking to prescribers, giving immunizations. 
I mean, imagine a pharmacist doing all those things, and at the same time, through an audiovisual link, they have to be watching two other pharmacies. And in the bill right now, those two pharmacies can each be filling up to 150 prescriptions. So basically, a pharmacist has to run three pharmacies on their own at the same time. Yeah, that's. I, I work at a pretty, pretty busy pharmacy now. I think if you gave me another pharmacy, I would have to grow a second head and set of arms to have any chance of processing that. Uh, it 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 would just be way too much. And pharmacy as it is right now can be quite a bit. So that's a whole nother ball game. With that, I know you've been a very great advocate of this as everyone keeps throwing your name out to me about it. What advice would you give other listeners who care about pharmacy and healthcare in general? Ways to get and stay active when it comes to decision making, decisions being made by their state legislators? I think there's a couple things that I would recommend. The first is to really create a conversation around legislative issues uh, among um, among yourselves, among not just pharmacists, but include pharmacy technicians with that. Everyone is thinking about these these issues. Um, it would have been really helpful if we, as, as Michigan pharmacy professionals, had had a statewide forum in which we could have shared legislative news and created a collective approach to addressing Senate Bill 340. You know, in the end, uh, we relied on County Pharmacists Association. Um, we worked with the Michigan Society of Pharmacy Technicians and then just individual health pharmacy professionals to share information and to develop kind of a grassroots advocacy campaign against this bill. And it worked. Um, pharmacy professionals all over the state have contacted their legislator about this bill. But it would have been better if we would have had a communication system in place before this bill kind of landed on our, our doorstep. So having a way of communicating is, is really important. It would have been better if we would have known our legislators. Though I have to tell you, pharmacists and pharmacy technicians alike have called their legislator, written them, showed up at their, you know, these open forums that they have and spoken out. So I've been really proud of the health professionals in Michigan for not hesitating to speak out and advocating for what um, they thought their, their patients needed. And people reached out to others outside of the pharmacy profession, and that's important. Get some allies that are outside the pharmacy profession. Um, we made inroads to some groups because pharmacists were already on their boards, were volunteers in their organizations, and so those folks would make calls also to legislators. And then, finally, I would, I would tell them to not be afraid to shine a bright light on dark feelings. I think our legislators felt that they finally had to give on this bill a bit when the Michigan Campaign Finance Network questioned the money flow behind the bill and sent out a report that was highly publicized uh, about the bill. And then the Detroit News ran a story about this bill and pharmacists uh, questioning its safety. And they really, you know, they weren't listening to us at all before that. But suddenly when it hit the media, you could tell that they thought, oh, no, we're not going to get this by as easy as we thought. We need to think about what we're going to do. That made a huge difference. Yeah. So to sum that up pretty quick, you said contact your legislators, show up to when they hold something like a town hall meeting or even to their office. And I think that's a good thing to do for certain, because when you show up, they can put a face with it of, hey, this person's a pharmacist. And you might not be the best person on the topic, but you can at least be a resource. Or I always say pharmacy is kind of like two degrees of separation. 
maybe you aren't the best person, but you know somebody who could be the best person for it. I was going to say, the other thing about talking to your legislator, what we found is really effective was going to these big, some call it coffee hours, some call it office hours, where they show up in the community and they have an hour or so when they'll take questions. We went to one with the senator who sponsored this legislation. So we spoke about this bill right in front of all of his constituents, right? You know, he's in an area that we have a home in his area. And so we went there and said, you know, this is what this bill does. And the other people said, hey, that isn't what we want. We don't need this. And so just naturally, (laughs) other people started telling him that they thought the bill was bad, too. And that was very powerful. That's pretty effective right there. And I think the one thing to kind of mention, we're talking about a lot here, when it comes to healthcare and we're talking with a state legislator, specifically when it comes to pharmacy and you're talking to someone like that, we are the experts on this. This is our profession. This is what we went to school for. This is why we have doctor degrees now. And I think that's one thing that isn't always taught in pharmacy school is, yes, we are the expert. Be a little vocal about what you know. Because a lot of times pharmacists aren't the most vocal. Usually it's the doctors who are more vocal than us or the nurses who are more vocal. And kind of that's the reason we should speak up a little bit. And I I love that you hit on the Detroit area press really, really jumped on this because sunshine is probably the best disinfectant when it comes to, to dark money and or politics. So I think that's great. I know in Ohio, we have the Columbus dispatch, which is just lighting up pharmacy with all these awesome articles and things we do and kind of putting some light to it. So I'm glad to hear there's someone in Detroit who's uh, getting their teeth in that a little bit. Uh, before before I let you go here, though, I always have two questions I ask, I try to ask everybody on here. If there was one law about pharmacy you could change, what would it be and why? I think, well, if I thought in our state, in, in Michigan state law, I, I think it would be the law that we have about pharmacist counseling. Right now, we have uh, mandatory counseling on a new prescription, but it's, it's and the law that's not enforced. And I think we would have been better off if we would have had mandatory counseling on new and refilled prescriptions and to have that law enforced. And it's not just a matter of patient safety, which I think is really, really important, but it would put pharmacists front and center with their patients. Uh, it would have made their contributions to care more visible. I think um, legislators would be less uh, reluctant to kind of not listen to what we're doing. And uh, our, our pharmacists right now in Michigan do the best they can under current circumstances. But I think a state law would give them legal protection to offer the care they, they really want to provide. I wonder so how much money you'd save from that law. because of improved adherence rates and things of that nature. That'd be, a, that'd be an interesting law. I know some states are like that, but that, I wonder what your adherence yeah. rates would be in that state under a law like that. I think it would only go up, which would be beneficial to everybody. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think the healthcare savings would be tremendous. A lot of times people just need to know a little bit more information in order to take that medication correctly, just to give them a chance to say, oh, my neighbor's saying this, and then you can correct that information. So it doesn't have to be anything lengthy, but having that, you know, short contact with people is, is really important and to give them an opportunity to ask questions. So. And sometimes just a simple nudge. Uh, I listen to Freakonomics podcasts, or I used to when it was out more. And simple nudge theory here of, hey, I know I've talked to you about this all the time. How many how many doses do you think you missed this month? One? Okay, that's really great. You know, 10? Okay, we have a little bit of a problem. What's holding you back? And that simple nudge can help drive yeah. adherence for somebody and make a big difference. If, yeah. there, if yeah. there was that's, a, that's often underappreciated, yeah. Oh, for sure. If there was one other thing you could change about pharmacy, not necessarily being a law, what would you change and why? That's tough. 
I, I really, I love pharmacy. I love being a pharmacist. I think we do so much good for people. Pharmacists are approachable. We're the ones who solve problems in a practical way. I've worked in the in different communities for decades, and I've heard so many people talk about how they were helped by a pharmacist. And I now work with community service organizations a lot, public health groups, and they actually just love having a pharmacist involved in, in their work. So they know the value of what we do. And so I just, uh, I wish that our value was uh, better known to everyone. It's very difficult for us here in Michigan with this bill to see that money can erase that value that we have with people. And I, I think that's really sad. So that's kind of my thought that I just, Wish we, I think we're doing all the right things, but we're very humble practitioners. Yes. And I, I think, um, having more focus on what we do and having advocated, I think, more for ourselves as we advocate for our patients, uh, would be a good thing. Yeah, I would agree with that. Hey, thanks for coming on here, Dr. Lewis. I really appreciate all you're doing for our profession, but especially coming on here and discussing a really hot topic bill like this with me. Uh, For listeners out there, if you're enjoying the show, please drop a rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics. Mm